This is PRN, your as-needed dose of medical knowledge. I'm Alana Castro-Gilliard. And I'm Chandler Davis. This podcast provides general information and discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. It is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice for the practice of medicine. The views expressed herein do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Adward via College of Osteopathic Medicine or any other institution or employer. This episode will be part of a much bigger series on cost of care. We know that there is a lot of nuance and detail that goes into this conversation, and we want to make sure to cover it from as many angles as possible. Here's Dr. Jessica Dine, our first speaker on cost of care. Thanks for inviting me. So my name is Jessica Dine. I'm a pulmonologist, and I am the Associate Dean of Faculty Development at the University of Pennsylvania. But I think for today's podcast, the most relevant role is that I collaborate with the American College of Physicians on initiatives related to high-value care, which has led me to the work related to cost-of-care conversations with your patients. That's, I think, such an important topic for incoming physicians to really talk about because we don't understand the financial system at all, but we know that it's messed up. I think a lot of people speak about how the system is broken within healthcare, and that can mean politically, but I think what's more important is to just distinguish who are the stakeholders and who are we talking about when we say the system. Yeah, you bring up a really important point, and, and I'll come back to the system, but I think it's a lot of us, whether you're still in training or practicing, know that something isn't working. And the way we know it is that our patients are telling us that they can't afford to follow our recommendations because they have to make really important financial decisions between their health care, their rent, their food. And so we have to really, as physicians, we really have to help them. So I think when we talk about the system, I would just start with the patient. Uh, That's why we're really here, right? We all want to help our patients and we want to help take care of them. So if you think about the patient, the patient can receive healthcare through a number of different ways, but the most common is actually through insurance. So what happens is that a patient pays a premium to a health plan, and there's lots of different health plans, some government-funded, some not, and that health plan reimburses the clinician or the hospital or the office for whatever care is provided to the patient. So the reason that it's so complex is that there is a middleman, right? The clinician isn't the one directly involved with the patient in terms of the cost of health care. And the part that's broken is that there's two parts, I think, um, that are relevant to today's conversation. The first is that health care costs are rising. And the way that health plans make up for that is that more and more of that cost is shared by the patient, meaning that the patient is paying a larger chunk of their own health care. And the second piece is that there's a lack of transparency for both the patient and the health care provider. So when the health care provider wants to help the patient, it's hard because neither one really knows how much of that cost is going to end up being directly responsible by the patient. It's so interesting because, I mean, that's kind of how I view it, like, in my own experience as a patient. I feel like I never know what I'm going to get as a cost, so it's interesting to hear that the physician might not know either. I was lucky enough personally to do a thesis in my undergrad on prescription drug prices in the United States in reference to the EpiPen because that was the year that the EpiPen price had surged and it was really big in the media. And 
consistently I would hear they didn't know the price of what the patient would have to incur. Can you speak a little bit to what you've heard from other physicians on what their concerns are of cost of care? Yeah, so my own experience and that of my colleagues is that we recognize that the cost of healthcare is becoming a problem for many of our patients, but many physicians don't want to bring it up because they don't know what to do about it. So what do I do if my patient tells me they can't afford their medication or their test? Not only are they not able to look up what that might cost for the patient directly, but then they don't know how to help the patient. Uh, from my personal experience, it's I think I started asking patients even before I knew how to deal with it just to start the conversation and change the culture. And that has been really helpful because then together we try to figure out, well, how can we overcome this problem, which has led me to finding a lot of resources that are already available. And so overcoming that fear of just bringing up the conversation because we don't know how to fix it, um, I think is the first step. Yeah, that's it makes a lot of sense. I think it was really an interesting experience. I saw you speak at the internal medicine conference, and over and over I heard the physicians say, I don't know the cost of care for my patients. And even now in our classes, so we do a lot of standardized patient training. We do one exam every block where we go into our room with our standardized patient, and we tell them, these are the things that you're going to need. I'm going to admit you to the hospital or whatever the care is. And one of the things that they tell us that we should ask is whether or not a patient has insurance so that we're showing humanism. And it just seems hard to ask that in a delicate way. Do you have any advice on how we can raise that for our patients? Absolutely. I, I mean, I think as, if you're the primary clinician seeing the patient, I think normalizing it is the key. So being broad about it. You know, I see a lot of patients that struggle with the cost of care or something like, you know, the cost of healthcare is really going up rapidly. And so I see more of my patients struggling with their co-pays or deductibles. And I want you to know that I'm here for you if that occurs. I'm also, I'm a big pro proponent of being as transparent as you can be. I will tell them that I don't know sometimes. So for example, I'm a pulmonologist. I told you that. Uh, in the beginning, and so I prescribe a lot of inhalers. The cost of inhalers are really expensive. There's no generic um, versions available. And so I tell whenever I prescribe an inhaler, no matter who the patient is or what my assumptions are about whether or not they're financially able to pay for inhalers, I say inhalers are really expensive even with insurance. I don't know how much you're going to be charged for the inhaler that I'm prescribing, because that information is not available to me. If you get to the pharmacy and the cost of this inhaler is prohibitive to you, I would probably use language that's a little bit better for any level of literacy, um, but something like that. If that's prohibitive or if you can't afford that, please let me know because there are other options available and we'll work together on that. Um, so I, I try to be as transparent as possible so that, it, that they feel like we can they can be honest with me moving forward. Yeah, so it sounds like you kind of normalize it so that you're not making the patient feel attacked, saying in general everyone is feeling this way. I think that's really important is to, like you said, normalize it. And then you're also also saying, please come back to me. Like I'm, I'm here all the time for you. 
I want to be with you throughout your care, and that means once you leave my office as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I feel like that's one of the things that when I was saying, I'm particularly interested in this concept because I did my thesis on prescription drug prices, and I think that's one of the areas that patients really struggle with. So it's not that they're not trying to adhere to the program that you're trying to help them with, and it's not that they're trying to be disrespectful or not listen to you. It's that they have other barriers in their care. I was wondering if you could speak a little bit on what you hear from your patients more so other than prescription drug prices. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, to come back to the point that you just made, um, it's well documented. Um, I think it's data from the Commonwealth Fund that um, they survey patients and uh, that about a third of patients report either not going to see their doctor or not filling a prescription or taking a pill less frequently than prescribed because of cost. So there, and you know, we might make assumptions about why our patients are not following our recommended treatment, um, but sometimes it's that they want to and they can't. So I think that there is a lot that this is important to bring up because we bring so many of our own biases to the table. And so when you're having cost of care conversations, I just want to reiterate how important it is to have it with all of your patients. So if you're going to do it, do it with all of them. Don't make assumptions about who can and cannot pay because you're likely to bring your own biases to the table. And so I think that's what I was going to tell you. That um, So what I hear from my patients is that almost all of them struggle with the cost of care, that it's uh, expensive. They, they most often will bring up prescription prices because I think that that's what they see the most. But I often hear that, you know, they spend a significant amount of their income on having health insurance. So just even paying the monthly fees for the health insurance can be a problem. We talk a lot about co-pays or deductibles, um, but just having insurance is something that they mention. And my patients tell me that they um, appreciate the conversations. Most of them want to talk about the cost of care with their physicians, but they're nervous about a couple of for a couple of different reasons, and this is also well documented in the literature. The first um, is usually time. Like they think that they have so many other things to talk about with their physician that this is just going to take up some of their time that they have with their physician, so they'd rather talk about other things. They also think just like the physicians, well, they don't know what to do about it, so why should I bring it up? And then they feel embarrassed. And the last one is that they don't want it to affect the quality of their care. So they think that if we believe that they can't pay for something, that we might not offer the best quality care. I think that's important because I hear that. I should have mentioned that earlier. That's another thing that my colleagues say. They're like, well, I should do the best possible thing for my patient, whether it's expensive or not. The way I would answer that is comes back to our adherence conversation, right? If you recommend the top treatment plan, but your patient can't afford it, they're not going to do it at all. And so it, I still think that the quality of their care will be better even if you go to plan B, which is cheaper and they can afford because then at least they're being treated. Um, it's not ideal until we fix the system, but I think it's important to bring it up. Part of my time in undergrad, I was 
allowed the opportunity to work in a bioethics internship. And I was speaking with one of the doctors, and one of the things that stuck with me, I was on a palliative care rotation, and one of the doctors said, one of the things I struggle with is, should I provide this treatment option to my patient when I know that they would have to put up their house or remortgage their house in order to afford it? And that's one of the things that I always have thought about when it comes to cost of care and from the physician's perspective. Do you offer the most expensive, potentially best treatment, but you know that they won't be able to afford it? Or do you offer something that's still pretty good, but less money? Can you speak a little bit on that? I guess just to clarify your point from before. Absolutely. I think that um, it's really important and, you know, we all want to do the best for our patients. I think that it's rare that there isn't an alternative plan or option that wouldn't also provide a good outcome. But sometimes my patients just say, I can't do any of this. Like, I can't do it. And that feels really bad. And so then I would say, then it's time to really link go to some of the available resources. And there's a lot of there's a lot of help already out there. And I would if you don't have someone at your organization, someone who may be more um, knowledgeable about what uh, free programs or cheaper programs are available at in your area, there's a couple of websites. There's the GoodRx for example. There so there's the prescription websites where the patient or the provider can look up the cost of a medication potentially for your patient, uh, but it also has resources. So let's say that you prescribe a medication and that's really expensive, and at the bottom on the website are actually programs that provide help. So sometimes that's through the manufacturer, sometimes that's through a grant program. The only downside to that is that there's usually paperwork involved, and so some of my patients just need help with that paperwork, filling that out. There's also something called Needy Meds. I don't know if you've ever been on it. Um, even though it has medication in the title, there's actually a lot of resources on there for all kinds of things related to the cost of care, medications included, but durable medical equipment at discounts. Um, there's help with transportation there's help with copays, um, and, and then I'm blanking on what AAFP stands for, but uh, the AAFP has the uh, Neighborhood Navigator where you can actually put in your zip code, and it brings you to a page of all programs in your area that can help patients, not just with the cost of their health care, but really any social determinants of health, so including food insecurities, housing, and then also uh, your local government websites or Medicare. Even if your patients aren't under Medicare, Medicare on their website has a lot of resources that you can also search for by your area. It's a lot of information to go through, I think, for a patient, which it's great that these platforms are there for patients. Do you usually directly tell these things to patients or do you like do you have a sheet that you give to patients like how how do you work around this conversation so in the beginning what i did was um just start the conversation and i would say here are some 
resources, and I printed them out for patients with phone numbers in case they didn't have access to the website. So the uh, Neighborhood Navigator and um, Needy Meds, for example, they have phone numbers so you can call um, and someone will speak with you and help you if you don't have access to a computer. Um, so that's what I did in the beginning when I didn't really know, like, how can I help my patients? What I've done in the meantime is I've gone through uh, all these websites and I have familiarized myself with the things that I prescribe the most. So, I, again, I'm a pulmonologist, so for example, I, you know, order a lot of CAT scans, chest CTs, and I order a lot of breathing tests, and I order a lot of inhalers. So what I did is I went on all these websites, and rather than knowing everything about everything I could possibly prescribe, I focused on those three things, CAT scans, breathing tests, and inhalers. And I familiarized myself with what are the programs that can help with these things, and I use some of the cost estimators, just like how much on average do these cost um, when I prescribe them for patients so that I now can give better um, advice when I'm ordering PFTs and someone can't pay for their copay. I can send them to places where I know they're cheaper or where they might even be able to get them um, at, at no cost. Um, and so I would recommend for anybody – you know, it's harder when you're a medical student because you don't, you have to know a little bit about everything. But once you have a practice, you can focus in on a, a couple things that you prescribe the most. And honestly, in doing that, then you teach your patients how to do it for other things. The unintended consequence of this, um, which is a positive, has been that it educates patients about what to pay attention to. So when it's time for them to sign up for a health insurance plan, they know what to look for. So they then know, oh, you know what, I ended up having problems getting testing done. I need to pay better attention to that. Um, so I think overall it has improved not only my own knowledge, but my patient's knowledge. That's really a brilliant idea because I think that it also builds trust between you and the patient. You're telling the patient that you've done your research, not only on the medical part, but you're recognizing that there's this outside part of the direct medicine that you also want to take care of. So I think that's really a great idea is for you to research the things that you most commonly prescribe or the thing, the tests that you most pro commonly do and make sure that the patient knows that you're also invested in their health access as well as their health like their health care directly you know we're talking a lot about the direct cost of medical care so there are lots of non-direct costs um, like if the patient needs to pay for transportation to get to your office visit or has to take off a day of work and I would also say that I like, don't make assumptions about that either so, for example, this is a silly example that I think I mentioned in the conference that you went to, was that I used to lump all my patients' appointments together. So I would say, you know, so that you don't have to miss two days of work, why don't we do the breathing test and the CAT scan and the my appointment and the cardiology appointment all on the same day? And that was my assumption that it's um, easier for them just to miss one day of work 
But then that is a lot of copays. That's four different copays in one day. And so some of my patients were didn't say anything but would only come to one of those appointments. And now that I've created an atmosphere where they feel comfortable telling me, they'll say, you know what, it's actually better for me to space them apart. So I would not make assumptions about anything related to cost and just ask, like, do you prefer to have them all on the same day or do you prefer to space out the copays on different days? Again, just be transparent and say, tell me, partner with your patient. One of the other podcasts that I did was with another doctor that I met at the conference, and she talked about cultural um, humility. And so, you know, just it came down to asking the patient what they want, and I think that that transcends into cost of care as well, aside from making decisions relative to the specific care that they would receive. But I, I love that example that you give about asking, assuming that something is one way, but then once you ask, you realize that the patient actually has a completely different idea on something. And I think as physicians, we get into this mindset that we know what the patient wants, and so it's always great to ask. Sure. So one of the other things you brought up in the conference um, was that, and you said this earlier too, was the transparency. And I guess it would be nice to know, in your opinion, what would be an ideal system to make the cost of care more transparent for both the physician and the patient? Well, it would be wonderful to see what a patient's cost sharing will be at the time that you're actually ordering something for both the patient and the physician. So what I mean by that is, you know, I can look up the average charge of a CAT scan in my area, but that doesn't tell me how much of that charge the patient in front of me with that particular insurance on that particular day is going to have to pay. And I think that would be that would be fantastic for everyone. And honestly, we can get a little bit more political, but if we there was more tra- transparency into how much does it actually cost and how much is being charged, um, I think that would also be helpful. But that won't directly impact your patient sitting right in front of you. Maybe one day in the future, one, one of the tech savvy, <laughs> you know, one of these tech savvy millennials uh, might, you know, figure out a way to do it. If you had one piece of advice for current medical students to think about as they're going through their rotations and their residency programs, what would it be? Well, I, you know, I think this is good advice. Um, whether or not you're thinking about the cost of care or not, but I mean, just remember the patient, right? That's what we're, that's why we're here and we want to help our patients. I think it's wonderful that you're having these podcasts and these conversations about things that are truly impacting our patients. And it's so nice of you to think about it so early in your career already. And uh, I commend you for changing the culture and changing the conversation. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us today. I really think this has been helpful. Thanks for inviting me. For more PRN, please be on the lookout. If you like this episode, tell someone about it and start up a conversation. I'm Alana Castro-Gilliard. I'm Chandler Davis. And this is PRN.